Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Today's episode is our second one in this series on alternative education movements, basically. And this one will specifically be on homeschooling and learning methods and techniques and systems. So I'll start off with the reasons why someone may choose to go this route, as well as some of the common reasons why people choose not to pursue this option. And then I get into the specific methods and systems that many people use related to basically how are you going to teach, how are they going to learn, this kind of stuff. So I'll talk about things like school at home, unit studies, classical education models, Charlotte Mason, Montessori, Waldorf, unschooling. I'll go over all these, what they are, why people go these routes, some of the pros and cons, that kind of stuff. And as I go through all of these different things, Hopefully, again, those of you who have no connection with kids or children, hopefully you can still learn from this presentation on learning methods and learning techniques and learning environments. You can use it yourself. Hopefully you can recognize some shortfalls in your own education, that kind of thing. So hopefully this is useful for you as well to still pull out some nuggets from that. So to begin with, why would people choose to homeschool their children? Well, you've got the obvious reasons why that I've covered in this podcast about many of the failings and some of the corrupt issues with the founding of the modern education system. But beyond that, some other reasons would be that some parents want to choose the methods of education for their children. Some want to specifically choose the curriculum that their children will be learning. Some want control over the environment, both from the standpoint of the educational environment that they are learning in, as well as the standpoint of the influences that their kids might be exposed to, some of the negative aspects of being at school, such as bullying and things like this, and as well as some of the information that the state may push on public schools that a parent may not want their kid to be exposed to. Another benefit of homeschooling is that you have increased individualized attention on each student instead of them just being one among 20 in each class by many different teachers who don't really know them very well, you basically have a lot of one-on-one time and one-on-one custom educational content per kid. So that can be a very major benefit. There's also a bigger impact on teaching morality. Morality is not something that's generally taught in schools. That's usually left to the parents. And if you, as a parent, have control over your kid's entire education, you can wrap that into their education as a whole, as a model. And so you can bring in things like that. If you are a Christian, for example, you can bring in biblical studies and principles into your teaching methods. So you can incorporate incorporate some of the things that you want to be incorporated, maybe discipline and maybe self-responsibility, 
these types of things that are not really highlighted in a public setting. And so that brings us to the question of why not do this? If it's really that much better for kids and the school system really does have this many problems, why wouldn't someone choose this? Well, I'm going to give you some of the common reasons and I'm going to pretty much debunk them from a perspective. But keep in mind, I'm not saying that homeschooling is for everyone. I'm not saying that all of these apply for everyone. And I'm not saying that it's best for every kid. So uh, although I am presenting more of the pro positive side of homeschooling, I want you to know that I'm not saying that if you don't homeschool your kids, you're a terrible parent. Or if you weren't homeschooled yourself, then you didn't get a quality education. There are many, many different factors and variables involved. And so that is not something I can make a blanket statement on. But to get into some of the common why nots, you've got, I'm not qualified. So teachers are qualified. They went to school for this, but I didn't. So I can't handle that. Well, my argument would be you can get qualified. You can educate yourself. You can even get a certification. And that's something you have the power to do. You also, in most homeschooling systems, are going to be more of a guide instead of someone who is filling your child with information. So depending on the method you choose, it's a lot easier to guide your child in following a certain curriculum or following a certain path or help them to learn. That's a lot easier than if you are the one that is having to fill them with all of that information yourself and responsible for all that yourself. So it's a different role. Another aspect is that the standard for teachers is actually not really all that high. So if you yourself have a bachelor's degree and you do some self-education in things like learning techniques and different curriculums and stuff, then you should be on par with most teachers, if not above them. And so, yeah, there's that aspect as well. Another reason why some people choose not to is because of their job. You have maybe a family with both parents who work, and they don't consider that they have enough money outside of that, and that may be true. However, you often would have the opportunity to consolidate, to maybe move to a smaller home, to decrease your bills, drive an older car. You can make some sacrifices like that. You can incorporate some of the ideas I talked about in the series on agorism. I brought up many different opportunities for saving money and living a lifestyle that is much cheaper. Maybe you can incorporate stuff like that. But overall, the question is, what is more important to you and your family? Is it more important to have these things that cause you to have a higher budget? Or is it more important to educate your children in a specific way? And that's not really a trick question. Sometimes it is more important to live a certain lifestyle than it is to specifically control the entirety of your child's education. And sometimes it's the opposite. So it depends on what you value more and what you want for your family and that type of stuff. So that is a question to ask yourself. Another common worry is that their kids won't be socialized. Well, actually, there are many different options for socialization. I'll mention some of those in later sections of the podcast, but there are plenty of co-ops, there's plenty of homeschooling groups, there are plenty of activities they can be involved in and extracurriculars, and so they do have the opportunity to be completely socialized. They are not going to be restricted to be at home eight hours a day every day and never be around other kids. You could do that if you wanted to, but 
Ideally, you are not going to do that to your children, and they will be plenty socialized. So another common viewpoint is that, well, public school was good enough for me, and so it's good enough for my kid or anybody's kid. Well, you know, technically that's a fallacious argument. That's not actually addressing the issue. Yes, you may consider it to be good enough for you, but does that actually mean it's the best thing for your child? It doesn't address that issue. It doesn't actually really address anything. It's a fallacious argument. I've talked about fallacious arguments, and I will not again. So, you know, you're going to have to come up with a better reason than that. The next would be that parents want their kids to fit in. They don't want them to be weird. They don't want them to be those kids that get left out. Well, if that is your viewpoint, then you are definitely prioritizing conformity over individualism. You are prioritizing suppression of your kids' individual uniqueness over expression of their individual uniqueness. And just be aware of that. That may be something you want to do. Maybe you do think it's more important that your children grow up and fit in in society and act like everybody else does, and that might be your priority. Or it may be that you want to highlight their individual characteristics and have those stand out, even if they are maybe a little weird or unique or eccentric. And so that's your preference, and you work that out as you see fit, but be aware of that. The final worry is that the parent would not get along with the child. Maybe they don't get along very well, period. And so how in the world could I teach my own children if we don't even get along and can't stand being in the same room together? Well, you don't necessarily have to be around each other if you don't want to. And so there are plenty of curriculums that are self-taught. There are plenty of options like co-ops, like I mentioned, where you actually go somewhere with your kid and they learn from other parents, usually in other sources. You can pay for classes. There's lots of options that do not involve you specifically being one-on-one teaching your kid all day, every day. And so that's not necessarily something that would be a game changer or something that would completely cancel out this idea. But you should consider that. And you should consider all these things. Just because I come up with reasons why you could technically make it work, that does not mean that it's the best choice for you. It's still not for everyone. It's not for every parent. It's not for every child. But these are the types of things to consider when you're thinking about this option. So let's get into some of the different options and approaches for doing homeschooling and doing more self-education. I will read off all of them, and then I'll get into each one specifically. So we'll go through school at home, unit studies, classical education, Charlotte Mason, Montessori, Waldorf, and unschooling, and then wrap it up with some custom approaches that people do. So let's start off with school at home. Now, what this is, is just what it sounds. You're pretty much doing the same type of thing that kids would do in a formal school setting. You're just doing that at home. And so you have a complete curriculum that you follow, and you would typically purchase this. It could be the same thing that a local school system uses, or it could be custom or privately sourced or anything else. But basically, you buy a curriculum. It has the different subjects. It has the books that you use, the textbooks, worksheets, tests, all this kind of stuff. And you basically just follow it. You're just doing all this at home, and you're directing it yourself. Now, some of the benefits are that this is fairly easy. It's pretty simple. It is highly structured, and it 
follows all the state standards. You don't have to worry about making sure that you're missing out on something or that you're not covering something fully, because if you follow the curriculum, you will hit everything you need to hit. And so it is pretty simple in that regard. Now, the other aspect would be that you're doing the same things that, quote, normal kids are doing. So you're basically covering the same material in the same way that kids are in regular schools. And so your kid is not as different as as far as their education is concerned. And that might be something that you want to do. Some of the negatives are that it's fairly expensive because you have to buy this curriculum, you have to buy all these textbooks, and that can cost a lot of money. It's also fairly restrictive because you're needing to follow a specific curriculum. It has everything laid out, and it has a specific route that you follow, a specific outline, and specific work. So that's not something that you do on your own or that your child directs themselves, but rather they are told what to do and they do it. That's it. So it's not very adaptive. It's also fairly time consuming. They're usually structured in a way that it takes up just as much time as normal school would, maybe minus like recess and that kind of stuff. But you're pretty much going to have a typical school day as far as the length of your day, whereas many of these other options are much shorter. They don't take as much time. And so that's another thing to consider. This option overall is one that is fairly common for people that are kind of new to the homeschooling idea or a little bit uncomfortable with it. Maybe they have some specific reasons why they don't want their child in the public school system, but overall, they're fairly comfortable with the way it works. And so this would work very well for them. And it works very well for some people. But overall, it doesn't really fully flesh out a lot of the most common reasons why people do homeschooling. And so it is not a very common and popular option for those that are further into the homeschooling movement. Now, the next option that I'll talk about is unit studies. And what unit studies are, are more of a thematic learning approach. And so the way this works is that you pick an event or you pick an object and you study it from all angles with every subject involved. And so what you do is you may pick ancient Egypt, maybe your kids into ancient Egypt, and you would talk about the science behind maybe their agriculture and how they water their crops. And you talk about the natural aspects of the rainy season and the flooding of the Nile and all the different aspects of bringing in nutrients to the soil. You might talk about things like their governance structure and how their judicial system worked, maybe their religion and what they believed and how that worked and how society was involved with that. You might just talk about the everyday life of the common citizen in ancient Egypt, what that looked like, what the different jobs were. You could talk about geometry in relation to the pyramids and just all different kinds of stuff like that. You can hit all the subjects but all of it would be centered around one specific theme or one specific topic or one thing. And so you use that as your main focus and then hit everything in relation to it. So the idea here is that it's a little more engaging because the kids, typically you're going to pick something that the kids are more into, and so they're more interested. But it's also engaging because it is holistic and it's connected. They get the big picture. They can really understand ancient Egypt much better if they're learning all these different individual aspects of it instead of just reading you know, 10 pages in a textbook about what it was like with a paragraph on each different area. 
Instead, they are getting much more information. They're interacting with it a lot more. Even when they're doing math problems, it's related to ancient Egypt. They can see the connections there. And so it can be a lot more involved. It also makes sure that you can incorporate some of the weaker subjects that you might not normally cover as much or that your child might struggle on. And so it makes sure that even if your child isn't very big on science, well, you're going to hit science because that's going to be an aspect of this unit study. And they might be a little more into it than they normally would because it relates and connects to these other things that they're very interested in and that they're learning about. And so that might help motivate them and get them involved, even in subjects that they're not as interested in and that they're not maybe as good at. So the next system is the classical education approach. And this one has some direct relations to some of the things I've talked about in this podcast before, not in relation to educating kids, but just in general. And what this does is it goes back as far as the ancient Greeks and even further in some cases, and it takes this classical educational model and applies it today. So there is a heavy focus on the great books. And again, I've talked about the great books before, but the great books throughout history, there's a heavy focus on those. There is a heavy focus on the trivium as a model for learning. And that is the system that is used, grammar, logic, then rhetoric, as far as the order in which kids learn different things. And then there is also a heavy use of Socratic dialogues for discussion and debate. And so, again, this is a direct relation back to ancient Greece. And one of the benefits here is fairly obvious that this is a time-tested approach, and it has been proven to provide a solid education throughout time. There is also lots of reading. So I said that there's a big focus on the great books, and I am not exaggerating when I say that is a very large focus. There's lots of reading, lots of reading the classics. You're going to read Plato and Machiavelli and Dickens and just all different kinds of stuff. And that is a very heavy focus. So that could be a really good thing. Or that could be considered kind of a negative, depending on your view on that kind of thing. So that's something to consider. The great books and through them, the great ideas over the ages will definitely be translated to the children. And that's something that overall can produce some very good results. They will probably understand society a lot better. They'll understand history a lot better. They'll probably be able to read at a higher level and write at a much higher level. Oftentimes, people educated this way are much better at debating and discussing things in general. And they have a lot more connections and they get references much better. And so these are things that can be very good. And if you're considering doing a holistic education, then this will definitely provide a good foundation for that. Another aspect is that language learning is fairly important. Usually there are languages that are taught that directly relate to some of the classical aspects of this education model. And there is also a focus on logic. 
This is something that is very important under this model. You have logic and critical thinking. Usually kids will actually take classes on logic specifically or maybe on critical thinking specifically or often on both. And so that is something that is really trying to be pushed in this educational model that would be to look at things logically, to think things through for yourself, and to use some of these ideas and philosophies and and learning styles of the ancient past, use those to your advantage. They have been tested, they have been tried, so use them. The classical method is a fairly popular one when it comes to the different homeschool methods. It is one of the most popular, and so with that, there's usually a very large network. Pretty much anywhere you live, if there is a decent-sized homeschooling network, and they exist all over the place nowadays, except for, I guess, in countries where homeschooling is still illegal, but there is often a large network of people that are also doing classical education. And so that's something that you can find some good resources through. You can do some good co-ops and kind of talk to parents that are also going through the same things, teaching the same things. You can partner up with other kids that are learning the same stuff and need to take the same classes. And so that's often something that's done where kids will join up and take classes together that are all going through similar curriculum and all from a homeschooling perspective. So that's something that can be very good that you have a large network around you of people that are also following this specific curriculum. The approach as a whole is fairly systematic, but still fairly adaptable. So even though you have a focus on great books, on following the steps of learning all your grammar, then learning all your logic, then learning all your rhetoric, and it's fairly systematized, it still does not consist of a specific curriculum. It's not that you read this book and then you do this worksheet and you cover these specific ideas. It's a lot more open than that, so it is pretty adaptable. Although it is fairly adaptable and it does highlight critical thinking and logic and that kind of stuff, there's a lot of independent reading, it's also a little less interactive overall than some of the other methods. And so that's something that might be an aspect that you may not be quite as fond of, it also is not always very practical knowledge. So although I would probably personally argue that thinking for yourself and using logic and being aware of many of the ideologies and philosophies throughout time, I would consider those to be very beneficial. They might not translate as well to a desk job at a corporation. That stuff might not matter one bit. If you are going to be coding software, it probably doesn't make much of a difference if you understand Plato and Socrates, or if you don't, or if you never even heard of them, it probably doesn't affect your job at all. And so some people would argue that a lot of the education and a lot of the knowledge and a lot of the learning is on stuff that's not quite as practical. So that's one of the other complaints there. The next system that I'll talk about is Charlotte Mason. Now, this one, along with Montessori, along with Waldorf, they all have their histories and their founders and that kind of stuff, and I'm not really going to get into any of that. I'm basically just going to stick with what it is and what it looks like. So with Charlotte Mason, the idea is that you have very short lessons, you have a huge focus on lots of nature, lots of observation, and you use living books there is also a large focus on narration. So with all this, what it looks like is that 
There's a lot of being outside. Usually at a young age, she recommends that you have your kids outside up to eight hours a day. So a whole lot of outside time. There's a lot of nature walks. And with that comes a lot of journaling. There is narration where you have your kids tell you about the things that they see. They are writing it down. They're drawing pictures of the birds they see. You can you know, do some education and some teaching related to the things they're noticing. It really helps with observation. They learn how to notice things and how to see the differences and notice the changes and really helps them be more aware of their surroundings. This method has been around for over 100 years, so it is another one that is time-tested. It's not as much as classical, where it goes back thousands of years, but still, long time. The focus on nature does not mean that there is no formalized learning. There's always going to be formal learning in all of these methods. You're going to have to learn reading, writing, arithmetic, that type of stuff. And so there is a place for that in pretty much all of these. But the idea with Charlotte Mason is that if you're going to sit down and do a lesson, it's going to be short. Even at older ages, it's going to be 45 minutes or less usually. And so you don't have a lot of just sit down time and lecture time. That's not the focus at all. The focus is being outside, interacting with nature, observing nature, recording it. The idea of living books is that you are reading books that are directly related to a time period, usually from an original source, instead of using reference books and textbooks. So if you're learning about the Civil War, you might read a diary of someone that was in the Civil War, and you might read another reference of maybe a biography of a general, and you might read something else about the weapons that were used in that war and the war strategy, military strategy, that kind of stuff. And so you are going to learn about the war through these what are known as living books instead of just an overall summary and a little bit of detail from a textbook or a reference book. One of the big benefits with this method is that it's fairly cheap. It's very cost effective. You don't have to actually buy textbooks. You don't have to buy a curriculum. You can get a hold of most of this stuff for free. You can go out in nature for free. You can get a lot of these books extremely cheap at a used bookstore or for free online. So it doesn't cost a whole lot. So that is something that is very beneficial. The classical method is cheap compared to the school at home method, but you still have to pay more, usually involved with more groups, and there are more fees involved. Charlotte Mason, there's not a whole lot that you buy. There's not a lot of cost that is required of you. So that's one of the big benefits. It's also good for people that don't consider themselves professionals because it is not very specific to the parent. The parent isn't directly teaching out of a textbook or a certain curriculum. They're more guiding the child and helping them. They are not required to know as much. They're not required to follow a certain type of teaching or a certain structure. And so it's very friendly for parents that are not quite as comfortable with playing that typical teacher role. And so that's one of the benefits as well. Also, if people are oriented towards Christianity, this method is very friendly to that. There are a lot of incorporations with Christian philosophies and biblical principles and Bible studies. You know, obviously, you could follow this method without incorporating those things, but that is one of the aspects that has been around for the entirety of 
the Charlotte Mason method. And so it's part of that curriculum. And so if that is something that you want to include, then it's very easy to do so because it's built in in many ways. One of the biggest complaints about it is that it's fairly old-fashioned. In today's world of tech and computers and the internet, it doesn't incorporate any of these things. And so some people complain that you're not getting the more modern education. It's also strongest for more the elementary school ages. So for the smaller kids, it really caters to them and... Um, growing their creativity and their learning and being outside and helpful play and that kind of stuff. It's very good for the littler kids, but it's not as strong for the older kids. And so a lot of times people will switch to a different curriculum or a different method or start incorporating other things as the kids get older, because that is one of the weaknesses here. It's also overall weaker in math and science things that are more designed for sitting down and studying and learning through that method because Charlotte Mason is not as big on that style of learning. And so those are some of the main weaknesses with the Charlotte Mason method. The next option to talk about is the Montessori method. So with Montessori, the main idea is that it's free movement, free choices, very tactile, very much centered around unstructured time. And so the deal here is that it's it's child-directed pacing and playing. And so a child is going to learn at their own pace. They are not forced to follow a certain curriculum and follow certain steps, and you have to read by this age, and you have to be at this level and this subject and all this stuff. And once you do this, then you have to do this. That's not the way it works. Children learn at their own pace, they are free to do so, and they're free to explore different subjects, different things, and so that's one of the main focuses with the Montessori method. It's also child-directed playing, where there is a lot of play involved, I use the term play loosely, a lot of interaction with different materials. I said it was very tactile, so especially at a young age, there's going to be things like blocks and Legos and more open-ended toys and open-ended things that they can physically interact with and play with. And so that is one of the main methods of learning from a Montessori approach. This approach is highly adaptable, again, because it's not quite as structured. And similar to Charlotte Mason, very strong for the elementary years, but with that not quite as big on the later stages of education. There is a fairly big focus on physical interaction and physically handling things and playing with things and manipulating things. They use manipulatives a lot, especially in things like math. And so this can be a very positive thing because if a kid has learned a lot about different shapes and different sizes and how they fit together, then things like math and geometry might come to them much easier because they can relate it to experience that they already have a lot of. And so this can be a big plus as well. This method fosters creativity very much because the kids are being creative with all the things they're interacting with and playing with. That is kind of a must because that's how it is completely structured. For some of the negatives, if you want to be an official Montessori teacher and have your homeschooling curriculum be officially Montessori, an official Montessori school, then there is certification and training that you have to go through in order to get this official Montessori title. 
So that's kind of a negative. You can still follow the principles without it, but if you want to be official, then that's the way to do it. Uh, the Montessori method is also more common as more of a schoolhouse model where you have like a private school that's a Montessori school because there's a lot involved. And that would be another negative is the expense. You have to buy a lot of open-ended tools. You have to create an environment that is oriented towards this style of learning so that your kids can be exposed to these things, have the freedom to choose these things, play with different things that involves um, a lot of work and some upfront spending and some planning and that type of thing from you. So it's a little more involved in those ways as well. Next up on the list is the Waldorf method. And Waldorf is much less focused on academics. Its focus is mostly on the arts and exploring the natural world. Typically, the structure is that a subject or a topic is covered in a block of time. So three to six weeks of time is spent on one subject or one topic, and they're covered in blocks like that. Overall, the approach is multi-sensory, so there's a lot of interaction, there's a lot of hands-on stuff, there is reading, and it's just many different things. You'll watch videos, you'll do all kinds of stuff to learn a subject area. Now, I say you'll watch videos. It actually discourages media use, so that is not a common way, but that does get incorporated by a lot of people because it's trying to take this multi-sensory approach, and you can expand that to more modern times by including some tech. But overall, there's not a lot of media, not a lot of screens. It definitely looks down on those aspects of learning. Now, I said that they read books. Well, kids are not going to read a textbook. As they get older and go into the middle school and high school years, they're actually going to create their own books. And that is a project that they'll do. It helps them to interact with the material to really understand it. They organize it and they create their own books. And that's kind of a method of learning and a project that they're associated with. Imagination is highly encouraged as is ethics and social responsibility. So again, there's a big focus on the liberal arts. There's a focus on music and art and crafts and this kind of stuff. And so you get a lot more creativity and imagination, especially at the younger ages related to this stuff. But it also focuses a lot on social responsibility and ethics. And this kind of stuff as well is definitely highlighted in this approach. Some of the highlights that I've heard from parents who have done the Waldorf method and things that they've said other people have commented to them about their children is that they've noticed that their children are very balanced, that they have many different skill sets and many different capabilities, and that this is a standout thing that they notice is much greater than many other kids. One example was that one lady's kids can crochet and they can paint and they can play piano, and they also have knowledge in many other aspects of things like cooking and all kinds of stuff that you don't learn in school. In public school, you're not going to learn any of that stuff, but this child is able to do all of these things because of her education. And the idea is that when your child is cooking with you and they're doing craft projects with you and all this stuff, they learn through their experiences and through doing these things. So one example that I heard was that this child had 
participated a lot in cooking and baking and doing recipes and stuff. And so when it came time for them to learn fractions in math, they understood them very easily and very quickly. And a lot of other math subjects they really got because they had had experience working with those types of numbers and working with those concepts already. And they were fully versed in how that stuff works and what it looks like. And practically, they've had some hands-on experience with this stuff. Even if they didn't know the formal mathematical principles, they could pick those up very easily because they were already exposed to those concepts. And so this is kind of the model that the Waldorf method uses. In fact, academics are not actually incorporated until a child hits about seven years old or elementary school age. Before then, they're not working on reading, they're not working on writing, they're not working on math, they're not working on any of these basic things, which is very different than most other children. Instead, they're focused on play and experience. And then they start introducing some of these more formal academics after that. The overall philosophy is that you reach the child's mind, body, and spirit. You develop all of these different areas. So it's not just about learning from an academic approach. It's also about your body and your spirit. So a lot of physical activity and play, as well as understanding yourself as a person and how you fit into the world and fit into society and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot involved here. It is a fairly holistic approach from that perspective. And apparently it does create children that are fairly balanced in that they are able to do many different things. They're experienced in many different fields and they can fit in in a wide range of circumstances. So that then brings us to the final type of homeschooling education that I wanted to cover, and that is unschooling. So unschooling is pretty much the opposite of schooling, as you may have guessed. The idea here is that the child learns of their own free will and of their own direction. The format is very freeform and it's very much student-led learning. The role of the teacher or the parent is to facilitate the learning, not to actually teach. The child is the one that decides what they want to learn, how they want to learn it, and the parent is there to basically just help them and guide them and direct them and help facilitate that learning. One of the biggest advantages here is that every student gets to follow their own interests. They don't have to follow any set curriculum or any set method. They can learn what they are interested in learning. They can learn it in the way that suits them best. And they have a resource there in their teacher or parent in that if they want to learn about something but don't know exactly how to do it or need some help or need some guidance and direction, they can get that. So they're not just left out on their own. This also creates a mentality of learning how to learn. They know how to teach themselves. They know how to learn new material. And so this can promote lifelong learning and lifelong education even after their more formal schooling years, which is an added benefit as well. The structure overall, as you can imagine, is very loose. 
So that is a positive in some ways. In other ways, many people consider that a negative, that it is not very structured, it's not systematic, it would be easy to leave stuff out or to not get a full education, and so some people have those types of worries. Others are worried about the motivation of their students. Maybe they are not very motivated to learn certain areas or certain subjects or topics, and so maybe they may choose not to or they may not put themselves fully into it. Maybe they think that overall their child is not going to be motivated to learn much of anything. And so if they just leave them alone to learn their own stuff, then maybe they're just going to sit around and want to play video games all day. So that is definitely a worry there. But overall, the concept is that you help facilitate your child in learning their interests. And it is a very multidimensional approach. So they're going to be reading books. They're going to be using tech with computers and the internet, watching videos. They're going to do experiences where they go out and they do things. They go to, say, a museum if they're interested in like dinosaurs, for example. They might go to a museum and look at the fossils and that kind of stuff. They might go out on nature walks and areas that are similar to where the dinosaurs that they really like used to live. They may watch some videos on dinosaurs, read articles, read books, read maybe the journals of some archaeologists. There's lots of stuff that they would do, kind of similar to a unit study, but it is completely self-directed. The, the child is learning what they want to learn, how they want to learn, and the parent is more just encouraging and facilitating that learning itself. This is definitely a much more natural way to learn. People in general naturally pick up on the things that they are interested in and the things that they experience. So as we go through life and as we fill different roles, do different jobs, uh, gain interest in different things, then we automatically seek to learn more about them and learn how to do them better and to improve ourselves. And this is something that is highly encouraged in the unschooling method. The idea is that People and children don't need to be told what to learn. They don't need to be shown some sort of curriculum or outline that they have to follow, but rather they can learn things on their own and they can follow their own interests. And in doing so, they will naturally learn many different subjects in many different ways. And they are going to become much more capable adults that have experience and they have this broad range of education. They are intrinsically motivated to learn the things that they are learning and these types of things. So Again, there are much higher risks than some of these other approaches, but there are also much higher benefits as well if it goes well. So that would wrap up the last formal method that I wanted to talk about. The final thing is that many people, when they choose to do homeschooling, end up choosing to do some sort of custom approach. This isn't probably isn't the majority of homeschoolers, but there are still many that do choose to combine different methods. So for example, if someone likes the idea of a classical education where you follow the system of the trivium, where you learn first grammar, then logic, then rhetoric, and you do a lot of discussion and dialogue, 
and you read from many of the great books, that might be something that really appeals to somebody. But maybe they also like the Charlotte Mason mentality of being very involved with nature and observing things and doing the living books to learn, not just the classics. And so you could combine those two and maybe give up a little bit on the focus on the great books. Maybe you're still doing great books, but you're doing fewer of them and you're lowering the amount of reading. And in its place, you are putting in more nature-oriented things like journaling on nature walks and studying different types of animals or whatever it is that they're interested in. And so you could combine those two fairly easily, or you could do what many people do is you do Charlotte Mason or Montessori or whatever approach seems to fit you and your child very well as they're young. And then as they get into more middle school age, then you switch over to one of the more academic approaches. Maybe you get into unit studies and put more focus on that. Whereas maybe in their early years, you focus on a Montessori approach where they're very open-ended, very physically involved and playing with things and interacting with things. And then once they hit that certain age and maturity, then you switch over to the formal learning through unit studies. Maybe that's something that you would enjoy. Or maybe you like the philosophy of unschooling and you like the fact that they are learning on their own free will, they are learning of their own volition, and you really like that, you want to encourage that, you want to encourage them learning their own interest and directing their own learning. Well, maybe you want to do that, but you feel like you need to have a little more structure and that you want to make sure that they're learning all the different areas and subjects that they should be learning and that you think are important. So maybe what you might do is follow an unschooling model overall, but within that, maybe you require that they read one great book a month. And then you might also say that in each interest that you want to learn and follow, make sure that you incorporate at least three different subjects as you learn about that. And, you know, you have a list of subjects like science and math and reading and just all these different things. And they have to make sure that as they are studying certain interests and they're doing this, the way that they feel led to do, that they are at least incorporating different subjects. And so you might add some structure to that while still overall following an unschooling approach. And so the point is that these are tools and they should be used as tools. None of these are without a doubt the best approach ever invented and none of them are horrible and there's no way that you'd ever learn this way. They all are tools and so some may work better for some parents, some work better for some students, some work better in combination with other things. Basically, what you need to do is at least understand all of these different methods and techniques and philosophies and incorporate the ones that work best. One of the beauties of homeschooling is if something's not really working out, just change it. You have the freedom to do so. It is adaptive in that sense that no matter what system you're doing, if it doesn't really work for you or for your child, then you don't have to keep doing it. You can switch. The same is true if you have multiple children. That's another worry that many people have is that, well, I have three children and there's no way I can dedicate enough time to all three of them so that they all get educated. 
Well, the reality is if they're in school, they are three out of the 20 kids that each one teacher is teaching. So they're going to get a lot more direct attention with a one to three ratio of teacher to student versus the typical schooling scenario of a one to probably 20 or 30 ratio of teachers to students. And so that's something that probably would still work out in the child's benefit. But in addition to that, every child is different. So you may have one child that responds very well to the unschooling approach. They're very intrinsically motivated. They have many interests. They have no problem motivating themselves to learn and teaching themselves. But then your next child might prefer structure. Maybe there's someone that really likes structure. They really like systems. They really like things that are consistent. And so maybe something more like a unit study or a classical education approach might fit them better. You might have one that really loves to read and they really love philosophy and the classical education model might really fit them extremely well. Whereas another child that is much more hands-on, likes working with their hands, they're very creative, they like building things and creating things, then maybe the Montessori approach might work very well for that child. And that's the point is that not only can you adjust the curriculum or the method according to what is working and what isn't working, you can also adjust it according to which child you are educating if you have multiple children. And so overall, the homeschooling approach is one that ideally gives the overall best education and best opportunity to every child in a way that is catered and customized to them specifically. If they're big on socialization, then take advantage of the co-ops and the networks in your area. Take advantage of the different groups. There are usually groups that do kayaking and hiking and backpacking, that kind of stuff, that are homeschool groups, as well as their sports. Uh, most homeschool areas have a specific sports team. And so you can get involved in sports, too. It's not like you're excluded from that if you're homeschooling. And there are just so many different opportunities that you can take advantage of, and you can really cater to your child's interests and to their skill sets, to their strengths, to their weaknesses, and to everything. So that's my presentation of homeschooling in a nutshell. I hope that has answered many questions that you might have had and also sparked many questions that you now have after hearing more of a cursory coverage of this information. Hopefully that will encourage you to learn more about it. And if you are somebody that doesn't have kids or doesn't plan on having kids or maybe your kids are already grown, hopefully you can still learn from these different methods of teaching and learning and hopefully you can apply that to yourself and apply that to your own background where you can see that, hey, I actually never was exposed to the classics. I was never exposed to the great books. I haven't read any of them. I don't get any of those references. Haven't read a single Shakespeare play. And so that's a weakness of mine that I might need to remedy. Or maybe as you've gotten older, you've realized that you're really into hands-on stuff. Maybe you're really into doing projects and you enjoy woodworking and working around the house. And that's something that you've really gotten into, even though you didn't really have any of that in your formal education. And so as you can recognize that, you can incorporate that more into your life. And if you have something else you're going to learn, even if it's like on the job type stuff, then maybe you can find a way to learn that in a hands-on format. At, and so you can recognize that style of learning that works best for you. 
I have really learned a whole lot about myself and gaps that I have. I have gotten very into things like gardening and homesteading and permaculture, which I had virtually zero exposure to until probably the past maybe 10 years or less. I also totally missed out on all of the great books. I never read Plato. I never read Shakespeare. I never read any of the famous classic novels. And so that's a gap that I have been filling in since then. And I have recognized and I have really found the value as I have been adding those things back in and filling those gaps that I had. So I'm going to wrap up this episode here. Hopefully you will come back next time for the episode on college alternatives, where we'll talk about different programs and options and opportunities for learning and educating yourself and preparing yourself for a career and for the workforce without having to waste four years of your life and go thousands of dollars into debt. There are many other options that by some perspectives are much more beneficial than going to college. So at least be aware of what those are. And this also starts incorporating more of what would be more practical for older people as well, educating themselves or changing careers and stuff. So that's something that should be very beneficial, and hopefully you'll enjoy that as well. I will insert a reminder here that I haven't mentioned recently in the past few episodes that this podcast as a whole, Our Foundations, is intended to be listened to chronologically so that you can build on the information in previous episodes. They do relate to each other. And so ideally, you would go back to episode one if you are just jumping in on this episode and you will really get a lot of stuff that ties in to these types of topics. The podcast as a whole covers everything related to government and political theory and money and economics and education of all kinds. And so these things do actually tie in together very thoroughly, even when you would never think that there would be a connection between two of these groups. And so if you are able to take a big picture approach and go back and see how these things first began, how they evolved, how they got to where they are, and what's wrong with the systems that exist today, then you can really, like for example in this episode, you can really understand why homeschooling is so important and why it really should be considered very high on the list if you are thinking of educating your children and why it is very important to know how to learn yourself and recognize these things within yourself as far as gaps in your own education and what styles work best for you and all this kind of stuff. So ideally, you would listen to the podcast, at least this first season, in its entirety chronologically from the beginning. And this is a reminder that that is the way that season one is structured for this podcast. In relation to education, I've talked about how the education system came up, different philosophies, some corruption and conspiracy in how the current educational system was founded, and many of the issues and problems in the public school system. And I've gone over all this stuff that does directly relate to this current series on education as a whole. So hopefully you will do that if you haven't already. Also, if you have not already, please leave a rating. And if possible, and you're willing to, please leave a review. That's very helpful. Thank you for those of you that have. Um, Also, please feel free to send me feedback or ask questions or ask for more resources via the email address. 
and that is ourfoundations at protonmail.com. These links will be in the show notes as well. You can also follow on Twitter at FoundationsPC, and there is the website that you can go to that has a list of some of the resources that I use. It has an outline of the entire season one of the podcast and has some more information that might be useful for you or you might be interested in. There's also the Patreon page if you want to support financially. You can join our other patron that financially supports this podcast and helps pay for the hosting fees and for resources like if I'm buying an audiobook for research that kind of stuff and that is extremely helpful and thank you very much for anyone that chooses to go to the Patreon page at patreon.com/ourfoundations thank you very much for all of your support of all different kinds for all of you Thank you for just listening. That is supportive enough to see the numbers of the people that are listening to this podcast regularly. That is very encouraging. Thank you very much. With that, I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.